You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey listeners, we want to thank you for being loyal the last three years. Your support has made the switch to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network possible. This is going to open us up to bring even more content your way on the audio and the written side. Keep following and listening. Hook em or hunt em. Pro Talk Outdoors. That's what I call Pro Talk. When you really don't know the answer, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. get the pilot of Red Arrow going. There's really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there entertain us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutledge here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Leanne Tiffany Lukowski from the Crush TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz with Train Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and JP on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. There's no harder time on a whitetail's body than the dead of winter. Temps are at their lowest, and so is available forage. Does have to have that added bump to get fawns through to spring, and bugs could use the jump to restart antler growth. There's no time like the present to get supplemental feed back out on your farm if the state allows. Whether that's Maximizer with EHD technology, Maximizer Plus, or Complete Feed, you can have an impact. Shoot us a message or visit www.realworldwildlifeproducts.com for more info. Hey folks, welcome back to Pro Talk Outdoors and uh, tonight we're going to dive deep again and we've got a, a real special guest online here with us, uh, a guy that uh, anybody that's uh, real serious, especially about public land hunting, is going to know a little bit about and uh, got the Hunting Beast Forum, he's the Hunting Beast, he's the uh, big buck serial killer himself, Mr. Dan Infault online. How you doing Dan? Pretty good, how you doing? Well, I'm uh, I'm doing just fine. I uh, can't say that I've had a great season or anything, but uh, you know it's uh, it's winding down for us a little bit here. But <clears throat> I guess it's time to regroup and see what the heck we did wrong. But uh, how how was your season for you? Uh, I had a similar season. I, I got onto some deer, but not not the one I was looking for. 
Well, it uh, it happens. I know it's a good time to regroup and kind of take a step back and see what the heck happened, I guess. But uh, we got uh, Jason Campbell here online with us and Wyatt Rivers. And uh, really, these two guys, I I have to I have to tell you this, Dan, this is going to be a big education for me because my public land hunting and, and really my style of hunting doesn't match up with, with what you do. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to learn a lot from you here tonight, but... Um, Jason in particular has done a whole lot of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it emulating, but I know he follows a lot of the stuff you do and and uh, really interested here in, in seeing what we can learn from you. Cool. So, yeah, Dan, uh, when, first off, let's just uh, kind of start at the basics, you know, just kind of cover what exactly beast style hunting is for the people that may not know. Um, and how long have you been doing Has this been something that you've been doing like your entire life? Uh, and how did you exactly come to figuring it out? Uh, that's, that's right. I've been doing this my whole life. And I think uh, if you want to call it a benefit uh, that I have is that I didn't have any mentors. I kind of started hunting on my own. And I didn't have anybody to teach me bad habits. And uh, back in those days, you didn't have all the magazines, all the um, literature, the online stuff, you know. So you just had to go out and kind of learn. And uh, I didn't learn anybody's bad habits. I didn't have anything passed down from generations above. And I just started noticing that, you know, the closer you got to bedding, the better your hunts were, you know, uh, the more you saw in daylight. And I kept pushing those envelopes and, you know, it just clicked. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you say you didn't have any mentors or anything. What, what made you decide that you wanted to become a deer hunter then? Well, I, everybody pretty much deer hunted back then. And, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, my father didn't hunt with me because he was working two jobs, you know, um, to support us. I mean, it was different times. And, uh, my brothers were, you know, often fighting in Vietnam and, <laughs> you know, I was on my own. Right. But uh, we didn't have much money and stuff, and in those days it was more about food, mm-hmm. you know. And and because of that, I killed a lot of deer. I, I killed them for meat, and uh, I think that's important. You know, a lot of guys nowadays start out as uh, wanting to be trophy hunters. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's really hard to jump right into hunting killing big bucks. Yeah, you got to yeah, learn yeah. how to kill deer first. I mean, because it's not as easy as they walk by and you shoot them. Everything you do, they can bust you on. You know, and mature bucks are, as as you know, Jason, are experts at <laughs> catching you, you know. And when you least expect it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, um, going from there, like when you're talking bedding area, you, you hunt a lot of like marshes and swampy areas, is that correct? Yeah, I hunt all different terrains. Um hunt all over the place, but I'm probably best known for my swamp hunting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now one question I have that I've never really heard, Ann, what type of footwear are you using to get back in there? Do you use rubber boots or waders? Or... <laughs> I usually use uh, rubber boots. Mm-hmm. Um, waders are so hard to walk in, mm-hmm. and, and you... uh, I just normally just get wet because, uh, you know, you, if you try to avoid it, you just, it's just going to make your walk harder, and Right. Because, yeah. uh, you know, having a boot full of water is no fun. No, no, it's not. I, I've sunk up to my waist a few times, and it's definitely not fun, uh, especially, you know, trying to lug around heavy boots. you got to find somewhere to take them off. Yeah, there's little tricks you can use. Like, uh, I like to 
pull my outer pants out over the top of my boot, and I find that if you go through, if you pull your foot back out fast enough, you, the water doesn't get through the cloth that fast. Well, know? i got to ask this question. So if you're going back in these marshes and you're going back in tennis shoes or, or even boots, whatever, and your your feet are getting wet, I mean, is do you not freeze your feet? I mean, your feet's got to freeze, man. How's that, how do you uh, battle that? Yeah, it gets pretty cold. Um, you know, outside of, uh, you know, below 20, I mean, it really doesn't bother me. I just get used to it. You know, I don't hunt for long hours either. I mean, the mature bucks on these public lands most of the times don't move much in, you know, broad daylight. So I'm hunting the last couple hours of the air or the first hour or something, you know. And the rest of the time I'm just scouting anyways. So are you are you uh, waiting till later? Like, say you got an afternoon hunt and you you've got a, a big buck uh, kind of pinned or where you think he's bedded at. Are you waiting till uh, you know two hours before it gets uh, dark before you even approach, or how are you getting in there? Well, it, it depends. I mean, um, ideally, in some situations, you like to get there a little earlier so that you know, especially if you know something's going to happen, because or in certain situations where the you know buck might hear you or something because the earlier you get there the more lethargic he's going to be in his bed but in in a lot of cases you know i'm hunting after work and stuff so i'm getting out there uh later all right i want to i want to take a step back all right so i want to ask this question how do you identify areas where a big buck is bedded at and when when are you identifying those locations you know, you know, that's a wide open question because uh, there's a million things you use to identify those bedding areas. Um, the DVDs I've done, I've done, <laughs> uh, what, about six DVDs on the subject now? And I, mm-hmm. I got about 20 to go before I cover every type of <laughs> bedding scenario that they have. Um, and it, the trouble is really explaining it over the phone kind of is that when you walk into those areas, you know, um, say I've been out hunting in Iowa, I mean, some of the stuff down there wouldn't hold a jackrabbit here, but it holds a booner there. So it's really the best cover you have for your terrain. You you know what I'm saying? So in these swamps, really, I'm looking for some features. Um, I'm looking for, number one, areas where people don't go. Um, That's number one. Because they will not, you know, mature bucks will not hang out where they smell people constantly. Um, Number two, I'm looking for certain land features that are within those areas where people don't go. Um, going back to where people don't go, I'm, I'm looking at a property and I'm saying, okay, this is what generally what people do. They go to the big wood lots. They go, you know, they go look for the stuff that looks like what you see when you turn on uh, the outdoor channel. You know, I'm looking for open areas, stuff to the side, uh, stuff alongside the road, little patches of uh, brush and stuff because bucks really don't, the mature bucks really don't live in the middle of those big woods or wood lots where everybody hunts. And if they did, they wouldn't live to the age that they live to. They're more in the edges and in, in the openings. Then when I find those areas where I think that those bucks live, I'm keen in on land features. Now, if, it, if we're going to swamps, I'm going to say it's going to be on little points of brush, a uh, little patch of dogwood. Um, if you're in uh, cattails, it's going to be the edge of the cattails, or there's a couple trees in the cattails, a little island in the cattails. Um, but it's, it's really, you can take a look at a swamp and look at that transition line of where the water meets the woods, and that's where the deer are going to be, just inside that water for the most part. They're not going to be a mile in there, and they're not going to be up on the dry land. They 
really like to be in swamps, in water, but on dry land. So surrounded by water, you know, for escape and for to keep people from getting to them. You remember, coyotes and wolves don't even go through the water. And, you know, when I go out and hunt these swamps, um, I know it's a little different by, by Jason, because people in Michigan get a little hardcore. But around here, once you hit two inches of water, you don't see people, period. You know, but you go up in a dry land and there's, you know, an orange outfit during gun season every 50 feet. So those bucks are all in them swamps, you know, in those little high humps. And a lot of people don't even realize it, but when you get back in those cattails, so there's just networks of trails and uh, bedding areas. So are you, you're not even concentrating on food or anything. You're just basically, uh, most of the time, you're looking at identifying buck bedding areas and you're keying on those, and then you're kind of going off of that and figuring out where you need to set up at? Well, obviously food food and stuff like that is taken into account. But number one is betting. Absolutely. I mean, it's real long three miles to go to food. But right. he has to, a mature buck has to have secure betting. So, you know, some bedding areas key in on food. I mean, you might have a really good bedding area that, you, you know, if, if you really look into it, it's only used like in September, and maybe every other year, and you, you, you really, when you put your finger on it, it's because it's right next to a really good oak grove, you know, and they're there when the acorns are there, you know, and you, you get bedding areas that are really focused on rut, you, you know, and, and you get some bedding areas that I call primary bedding areas that are great all year long, and bucks bedding are all the time. Hmm, and there's... I guess it just takes time to actually identify what's what. I mean, you you got to really recognize the area and, and uh, know what the food source is there so you know if, whether it's a uh, September deal for the oak grove or whether it's a, a, a all-year thing. Yeah, you know, after you after you get in and you uh, start doing this over and over and over again and you really start putting on the miles scouting uh, in the off-season, this stuff starts getting more and more recognizable as you see it. And you can start looking at it and say, yeah, they're probably here because of those oaks. They're probably here because of because of the, the doe bedding area over here that's normally upwind. They're probably here because of this. Look at all the rubs in this bedding area. This has to be used in pre-rut. Um, this one doesn't look like it's been used recently, you know, right after season, but it, it was used heavily at some point. Well, probably earlier in the season, right? This one doesn't have the cover to hold a buck in late season. It had to be being used during early season. You start putting the clues together. Look at how old the rubs are. Are the rubs fresher, you know, from later in the season, or are they real early season rubs that are already dull? Um, there's a lot of clues to when they were when they were bedding there. And the, the one thing that'll uh, really put it, you know, two and two together is hunting it. I mean, after you throw some sits at these spots, you start seeing a pattern, and you'll see those patterns repeat over and over again. You know, I like to if I'm, I'm real unsure about a bedding area, I'll throw three sits at it. I don't like to hunt any bedding area more than three times in a year, or, or the deer just vacated and find a new spot. But say I throw one sit at it um, early season, one sit at it rut, and one sit at it late season, and see what happens, and, and then figure out a plan from there. GSM White. No, uh, well, what what I was going to say, you kind of already answered. I was um, I was going to say that I notice a lot the the bedding area on the majority of the farms that that I hunt, they change. Um, generally in the 
some or most of the bucks are bedded around the ag and, and stuff like that, and we're in uh, heavy ag country. Um, but it's kind of it's it's weird where we're at. We we get a we kind of get a mix of, of you know farm country and then some hill country type stuff. And then you know as the as the season progresses and the rut gets closer and stuff, they start build, bedding more on those hills, um, you know, downwind of the doe bedding areas. And then you know as late season comes around, then they kind of move back and that's uh, that's essentially what i was going to ask you that's something that you notice quite a bit as well but you already answered that so um all right dan i got something for you um how do you like when you uh one of the areas that i hunt on public um i went and scouted it early season and it was a marsh i mean three four inches of water you know all over the place and then going back in there i went back in summertime and it had all dried out i mean it was just it was about waist high grasses with just little little ponds in there um do you find that deer will adjust where they bed on that because uh when i was when i was out there early season with all the water it seemed like every little island that held trees um had beds on it and they seemed to still stick right there around the little islands uh right where the water was is that something that you see occasionally or is that like yeah, a general I see, I see water change bedding i mean um for instance uh, one of the swamps that i hunt uh, this year was real flooded the whole year um it's working on a dam system and i they raised the water level so the water was higher in there it was about a foot higher and uh it brought the bucks up to higher ground but they're still in the same areas okay um you, you know, another thing getting into that is, too, you, you go around a swamp, and, and um, let's say that the swamp behind my house here, it's uh, about 3,200 acres. Um, I could take you out there, and I could show you 300 bedding areas I know of. If you look at it and say, yeah, this is a bedding area, this looks good, I would set up here. But of those, there's five, that if there's a big buck in that area, he's the one who's five, mm-hmm. almost always. I mean, there's... there's uh, uh, one bed in area I've, I've killed 12 of my bucks out of. Wow. The same tree coming out of the same bed. And there's another one where I've killed about 16 um, good-sized bucks out of the same tree, same bed in area. Man, that's amazing. Wow. <laughs> and the rest are kind of spread out and, and slow. Um, but those same spots, there's one area where I was having a lot of luck, and a guy moved into it, mm-hmm. found it, and, and you couldn't miss it if you got back there. Right. Because there's giant rubs coming out of this bedding area. Mm-hmm. So this guy finds that, puts up a trail camera, um, takes a boat back there and puts up a tree stand and chains it to the tree, which is illegal here. And just, there's a beat trail going through this. So I get out there to hunt and sign that. And I just turn around and leave. Mm-hmm. I come back in, in the spring to scout it. The stand's still there, the camera's still there. And there ain't a rub anywhere. Mm-hmm. So no out. fox came in there and rubbed while he was there. So then the next year, he's there again. The next year, he was gone. I mean, obviously, he's not seeing anything. He's leaving, right? Mm-hmm. Because he camped there, everything just left. Right. It took about two seasons of nobody hunting there before those bucks came back, before I had mature bucks coming in there again. <laughs> so so oh. a guy camping out in those spots and hunting those same trees over and over again will kill him. So even though I know uh, there's trees, I know that if I go there, I'll probably get a shot. Mm-hmm. If I want to continually shoot big bucks, I gotta have patience. I gotta really think about what I do before I do it, and really just hit it on the prime day when I think it's gonna be the best. 
Now, when you talk about the prime day, are you are you looking at weather conditions as much as uh, just wind direction? Are you waiting for like a high pressure system or a front moving through, or is there anything okay, you're well, kind of keying um, on? One of these one of these bedding areas um, is the primary bedding area. It's got bucks in it all year. I've sat there early season had bucks walk by, nice ones. And I've sat there late season had bucks go by and they're nice ones. And I've sat there rut and had nice ones go by. But what I've noticed is because of its proximity to a doe bedding area, something really big moves in there during rut. So I usually wait for that one for pre-rut. <clears throat> Matter of fact, I was hunting uh, a real big buck in, in, this, in the marsh that uh, was living in a preserve across the street. But he would come over every now and then. And I knew that when, when rut came, he'd probably show up in there. But rather than guessing on it, I monitored the tree, the rub lines that go back there. And when the rub line opened up, I went in there and hunted. And the first day I hunted that spot, the first day I hunted that buck, I shot that buck on October 31st. I got up out of the exact bed I thought he'd be in and walked to me. So are you looking and, more uh, for rubs and stuff as opposed to scrapes or, or what? You know, what What exactly are well, you? Every sign has a reason and a, and a place for it. I mean, it's, it's not like I'm out there looking for rubs and scrapes and stuff. I'm, I'm looking for bedding areas where, where these big bucks bed. Right. And some of the bedding areas don't even really have rubs. <clears throat> I mean, honestly, you just have to know that a big buck bed's there, and that's, that's a difficult task to figure out. But once you get that down, uh, you, then you know it. And sometimes it takes seeing the mature bucks in there to know it. I mean, I've had spots where I think it's an awesome spot, and I think, oh, man, I'm going to kill a buck here. And hunt three, four years, and then just give up on it. Right. Never seen one. And I've had spots that look like, well, I, I ain't going to hunt that. But something comes up, and you know there's a buck in the area, and you go, oh, whatever. Wind's right for that, and the other spot ain't going to work, so I'll just throw a stand at it. And also you start finding out that that's one of the best spots in the swamp. Sometimes you got to throw a, you know, a stand at it. You know, and it's all guesswork to that. I mean, it's educated guesswork, where you take a good guess at it and you think, this is what I think is going on here. Um, but, you know, you still got to go get your boots dirty to really know. Mm-hmm. You know, but once you figure out a swamp and you figure out those bedding areas, they repeat themselves year after year after year. Okay, I've got a, I've got a question for you. Well, I, know, I already know the answer to it, but for some of the people that, uh, that don't, um, speak, since we're on the subject of sign, uh, you have a very interesting theory about buck rubs and how to tell if one was made by a mature buck and one not so much. Could you go into a little bit of detail about that, about the height of them? Yeah, I actually did some studies on that, uh, too. Um, rub height seems to me to have a lot more to do with the size of a buck than the diameter of tree. Mm-hmm. I- I've seen very young bucks rub pretty big diameter trees, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, especially two-year-olds. But I've even seen a year-and-a-half-old spike rub a tree that's big around as my leg. Mm-hmm. But um, the mature bucks are quite a bit higher, taller. Mm-hmm. And if you watch them rub, they rub, like, in line with their back. And what I see is that year-and-a-half-old rubs in, in, in the Midwest here, like Wisconsin or Michigan, are, you know, below your knee. Mm-hmm. Two-year-olds start getting above your knee. You know, a three-year-old gets a bunch of waist high, and when it gets stomach high or higher, you're talking about a mature buck. Wow. Now, you got to take an account. I mean, if it's a little sapling, it could be bent over. Right. But if we're talking a tree that's going to, you know, fight that deer a little bit, if you look where he's standing and it's as 
size your belly to the, to the center of the rub, not to the highest point, to the center of the rub. That's a mature buck. That's interesting. I'd never even heard that before. It makes complete sense, but it's like uh, it's kind of a simple thought there, but it makes complete sense. And it's, I'm sure most people overlook that because, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that always look at a rub, and if it's, if it's on a big diameter tree, I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's a giant. And it's not. But so, okay. Uh, do you utilize trail cameras at all, Dan? Oh yeah, yeah, I do. So that I mean, are you identifying? Okay, let's let's say you you know your buck bedding areas. Uh, you know you've established those. You you know those well year after year. Are you going around? Um, or I guess tell me how you uh, utilize those trail cameras to identify what bucks you're going to go after and when. Well, your common trail cameras I put on food sources or I put in, in uh, travel routes or whatever, and all I want to do is see that there's a big buck in the area, one that I feel I want to target. And once I see that, then I go back to where the bedding areas are in the area, but my camera ain't there. However, I do use email cameras, um, and I put those um, right on the edges of bedding areas and let them soak for a long time and get you know, get a pattern of a buck coming in and out. Uh, just recently, I'm, I'm hunting a buck uh, in farm country that uh, is on a small farm. He was there the last couple years in a row now I've hunted him. He never shows up till late season. And this year, right after gun season, uh, I caught him on one of those food sources. And I know where the primary bedding area is on his property, but the property is tiny where I can hunt. So I don't want to go burn it out. So I took that camera in before a storm and I put it right on the entrance and exit out of the bedding area and uh, I got a picture of that buck going into the bedding area in the morning circling around to the downwind side so that evening I set up on him and the wind wind got in there and I'm, think, I'm thinking he caught me because the wind wasn't was just off and it switched a little bit when I got in there and I think he busted me because the camera had about 10 deer on it every day coming out of that bedding area. And the day I sat there, nothing came out, which is a good indicator I got busted, right? Uh, and now I'm just sitting back. I got another month to hunt him. I'm just sitting back waiting for him to be on that camera again. Not bothering the area. I'm staying out. He hasn't been back since the day I busted him. All right, that brings up an interesting question here for me. So, and and I've heard an, I've heard some things about this, and I've read some things about this, but I don't know enough about this to even talk on the subject. But uh, I'm I'm certain you do. Um, how do you identify the entries and the exits of a bedding area, and then also how to utilize those based on wind direction of where that bed that you know that deer may bed or which way he may enter that bed or come out of that bed. Okay, that's that's a huge subject. Um, <laughs> I knew it was. Yeah, it's more than one question there. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but uh, let's talk about how they enter and exit a bed. Um, entry is a lot harder to figure out than, than exit. Um, because when they exit, they seem to exit the same way all the time. There, there'll be one to three, maybe four trails that come out of a bed area. It's really nice when there's one. <laughs> but... The trails you see that are that are worn in, that got rub lines on them and stuff, that's your exit trails. Generally, when they enter those bedding areas, 
they circle to the downwind side, smell it first, and come in with the nose to the wind. And they smell the bedding area first. Uh, then they turn around and they watch your back trail. So that's, as you can understand, that entrance varies a lot because they're going to come in exactly with the wind. And getting in there and, and busting them in the morning is pretty difficult because they're going to uh, they're going to come in there usually in a lot of the cases before daylight. A lot of times when they bet, it's before it's even light out. And they're going to come in downwind of you. So the trick is to try to figure out where the J-hook to get in there and try to do it on a day that they come back late, whether it's because of rot or moon phase or whatever. But when they exit a bedding area, they just go from point A to point B. Do you think when and they exit? That's ex more predictable. Do you think when they exit, though, that that has some play on the wind? What's that? Do you think when they exit, it has some play with the wind? Do you think that they exit, you know, with the wind kind of quartering? I do not. Time? No. I okay. do not. I've, I've watched, I hear that all the time. And I think there's reasons why people say that, but I don't think it's true. I think the reason is a lot of people believe that, so they set up for that. And that's what you set up for, that's what you're going to see. I do see that they go. They don't go as far when they don't trust the wind. You know, like you don't get them to go, you know, like maybe with if the winds to their face, they go 200 yards. Right. And if it's not, maybe they go 100 yards in daylight, but they still go from point A to point B. They're going to go where they want to go. Um, and if you're set up, you, you know, in the right spot, generally you're going to get a daylight shot anyways. Um, the way I see it is, is uh, if you look at a, where a buck bets, I said he got a safe zone around him where they think they know if anything penetrates that safe zone. And they're probably right. If you get inside of that, they're going to hear you, smell you, or see you. If you get inside this imaginary circle, right? Right. So what I want to be is right on the edge of that circle. Because that's where they're going to feel real free about walking in daylight. So you want to get right to the edge where they feel free about walking in daylight. And that's where I want to kill them. That makes sense, and I'm sure that that circle varies, you know, with each with each set and each year. Absolutely. Yeah. It it varies absolutely. So is that is that I mean a general rule of thumb? Are you thinking 100 yards is where you want to be, or uh, I mean, can you even get that tight, uh, or is it just well, depend well, on the here, conditions? Well, here's the thing. You, you know, again, it, it varies in terrain. If you're talking swamp, most of the time I'm within 100 yards of the bedded buck. In a lot of cases. I watch them get out of their beds. But when you're talking hill country or timber or farm, a lot of times you can't get that close. A lot of times I'm 200 yards. Sometimes I can't even get close enough. You're just out of that range. Um, but, you know, that's the things you got to take into account. Where you're hunting makes a huge difference. That's one of the things I like about swamps is you can get rid right of top of them things. Now, when you're uh, when you're hunting in hill country, uh, one thing, how do you decide if you're gonna like set up, say, above them or below them? Is there any, what factors go into deciding that? The biggest factor that goes into deciding that is which way I think they're gonna go, mm -hmm. based on food, does, or whatever they're they're traveling to. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I much prefer them rising. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to get below them and kill them. Yeah, absolutely. With the thermals and the eyesight and everything else, I mean, they're looking downhill when when they're bedding hill country, they're bedding. With the wind coming over the hill, right at that top there, right where the, the, the ground just starts to drop off steep is where they're going to lay, and they're going to have a good view of downhill, and they're going to have the thermals pulling up all day and, until that last 
magic hour when that shade's down there and the, and the thermals start to turn. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to get below them. You have to get out of sight. So you're going to probably have to be like 400 yards from them if you're below them, or you're going to have to be around an obstacle, mm-hmm. like a little rise in that, you know, goes up and down or something. Um, but above them, you can get pretty close on, on those. But the hardest part is the sound because it's usually dry leaves. Mm-hmm. You know, you get that crunchy. But uh, you can get to, you know, you know, when they're bedded on a point like that, you can look at how the wind's going across that point, and you get to one side or the other, and you can hunt them. But then you got to pick the right side that they're moving on. And that takes, you know, some scouting, really. It mm-hmm. takes you to, to go through there and look at how they're coming in and out of those beds, look at the trails, decide on a setup, and then sometime in the future come back when the wind's right and set up on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you talk about scouting. How important is scouting to you? I mean, like, I know you've been doing this forever. You know, you know where bedding areas are and all that. But somebody, like, just starting out, like, this is my first year doing this, and I probably spent, I can't tell you how many hundreds of hours out there scouting. And, uh, like, how often do you try to get out and scout? Well, I scout probably at this time of the year, I'm scouting uh, probably 20, 25 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the season when I'm hunting, I'm probably scouting as much as I'm hunting, if not more, because I'm cyber scouting when I'm home. I'm, you know, um, every time I drive someplace, I'm I'm driving out of my way to go look at something or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But actually, in the swamp, you know, I'm spending a lot of hours in that too. But any time of the year, the more scouting you put in, the better. And I would say it, it probably takes a good, you know, three to one ratio, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, three and- times the scouting that, that you hunt. How uh... um, people overrate hunting? I mean, you've got to really, uh, uh, you, you know, I look like I look at this farm stuff. Like, you go into farmland and bucks bed on the edge. They bed right on the edge of timber, and they watch the opening below them when the wind's blowing through the timber. So they get the wind coming through the timber to their back, and they're looking at the field in front of them. And ninety percent of your hunters will say, "Oh, the wind's perfect," and they'll walk right into the middle of that field and set up. I wonder why they don't see anything mature. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times, what's helped me in that farm country is to set back and get into a, a big tree that's not even where I can kill anything, or I'm parked on a hill with a spot and scope, just watching and see what comes out where, and then deciding how to go about it. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta spend some time watching. You gotta spend some time scouting. You gotta spend some time learning in order to kill can't just run out there and kill all the time. I don't think people realize how much those bucks are set up to bust you. They don't get to be five or six years old by being stupid. I mean, there's just too much hunting pressure. They would die really quick if they were mm-hmm. stupid. They set up for you. They're watching you, they're monitoring you, and they're patterning you while you're trying to hunt them. And people think they're just dumb animals that go around randomly, bed wherever and do whatever, and it's just not true. So if you're talking during in-season scouting, and you're talking like a three-to-one ratio, you're scouting three times as much as you're hunting. You're yeah. not. You're not just going you're, you're, out there. Look at like this. Look at like this. I might have a destination in mind. I usually do. When I go out into like the public marsh, I got an area that I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to hunt there. The wind's right. I know that's a good spot. That's where I'm going. And then I'm looking at okay. I'm not taking that straight line log and road path that everybody else takes to get out there. What's my best route of getting out there? What can I scout here where the wind's right for scouting and I'm on my way to that spot? And on my way to my spot, I would say probably about, not quite half, maybe 40% of the time, I never make it to my destination. I hit hot signs, set up on it. 
Now, how do you decide? You know, a lot of times I go into the woods without even a plan of where I'm going to sit. I just go scout a transition until I find hot sign mm-hmm. going into potential bedding. If you remember now, if they're bedded on those edges, it's that easy. There's only a very small, you'd be looking at 6,000 acres. Mm-hmm. If the mature bugs are bedding on, the, on the transition lines, they're not in the middle of the swamp, they're not in the middle of the woods. You could probably walk that whole transition in a couple of hours. You know, so you can really get on sign quick if that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you decide like what sign to set up on and what to just walk past? Because I ran into that this year where I was going back in one of my spots, kind of scouting as I went, like you said, and uh, I wound up setting up on some fresh sign and didn't didn't see anything. So, how, how is that something that just comes with experience? On you learn what to walk by and ignore, and what to set up on, or how do you go about that? Yeah, yeah, it does to a degree. I mean, I'm looking for big sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to remember, too, I mean, it's hunting. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I set up on that stuff, too, and I'm wrong. Right. I mean, if I killed a deer every time I went out there, I wouldn't have anything to talk about, right? Wouldn't be fun anymore. It, you know, most of the time we fail, mm-hmm. all of us, me included. I mean, 90% of the time you fail. But if you could take that 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 1% or 2% that you succeed and make it 4% versus everybody else's 1% or 2 you're doing something. You know what I mean? So you... You can't take those failures as, as failure. You learn from them. And like I said before, I mean, you, you go and you hunt those spots, and if they don't pan out, you don't go back. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you go back and you give them one or two more tries at different time periods and see what happens. But I'm looking for fresh sign, and I want to see old sign. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to see sign in the middle of a woods. I think most guys can't walk past a giant rope. can't walk past yep. a, a car hood scrape. I mean, and it's evident because when you walk on the woods, you see that stuff. And there's no sign anywhere where a deer could bet. And there's tree stands all around the giant rope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just makes you, you, you laugh. You know, so those transitions, where you think that bucks would bet, the sign coming out of that. I mean, why else is a buck walking into a marsh full of water that dead ends at a lake where there's a patch of red brush in there? Why is that trail coming out of that? He's not going in there to wander around. So if there's a trail coming out of that that's got sign on it, fairly good chance that there's a bug that beds there and he's going to come out when you sit there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of sign I'm looking for where I have a, uh, you know, I believe in my mind, based on what I see, there's probably a bug bed in there that I would like to shoot. You know, maybe that's big tracks. Maybe it's some rubs that are big and they're fresh. You know, I love to see rubs that are still a little tacky. You know, they were done the last day or two. You know, um, Another thing I like to see is, uh, even more than rubs, is scrapes. Scrapes near bedding areas are, are really something. Um, I've killed some of my biggest bucks over scrapes that are within 100 yards of a bedding area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's it. what you get with that is that usually those, be- those scrapes that are really close to bedding areas are where two bucks that are bedding close to each other stage in the same spot, and they mark that. You know, and they're like competing against each other. They both go work that scrape. All right. So, if what I'm hearing right, Dan, how, do you ever hunt out of uh, like a hang-on set that you've just left there, or are you? I mean, you sound like you're extremely mobile all the time. Is that is that the way you hunt all the time? No, it's not a hundred percent, but it's most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I've on that little farm that I got. I mean, there's only so many trees, so I've got stands set up in trees. But the ones that I sit, um, 
three three times or so in a year, our spots where you're not going to kill anything. <laughs> you're watching the farm. When I move in for the kill, it's usually one, one time. Some of those stands never you can get hunted for several years, but they're not getting moved. I like where they're at. Mm-hmm. But three years might go by, and I don't hunt them. You know, um, when I'm hunting the, the, the public swamps, um, before I told you about those great areas that uh, I've killed all those bucks out of, mm-hmm. some of them I've never been hunted last year. Never went back and, and, and hunted them. You know, um, I'm going around and I'm hunting a lot of times specific animals I'm floating around, but I don't really hunt the same spot twice unless I have a real good reason. I got to see a buck there or something and it gets by me somehow or, mm-hmm. or I'm not going back. See, you know. that's interesting because, like, you know, as, as it gets later in the season, you start kind of, you know, my I consider my season this year a failure, you know, from the standpoint of, mm-hmm. you know, successful and harvest. Um, and I think that a big issue that I had was, you know, I got stand happy and I, I hung a bunch of stands. I mean, I went into some areas that I probably shouldn't have and I hung sets. And I, I think I blew some deer out that I probably, uh, you know, uh, would have otherwise had I been more mobile and just went in and did a hang and hunt kind of set, I would have uh, been in much better shape. So, can you? Yeah, you gotta remember like this, like this. If you think about it, you know, you go walk in an area. I think you're sensed there for like ten days, two weeks, that a deer can smell that you've been there. You go in there, and start cutting limbs and hanging stands and putting ladders up and stuff. I think you do a lot more damage than what you believe. I think you probably do. A, you probably got sent there from doing something like putting up a stand for a month, and I think mature bucks really, really key in on that. I mean, it might not be so much with smaller bucks and does and stuff, but that's not what you're really hunting. Even if that's what you're taking, it's not what you're hoping for. And those mature bucks key in on that. They smell that. They know you've been there, and they move around you. And uh, now, now let's just let's just backdoor once and let me be the. Uh, be you for a second and ask you a question. Okay. Um, uh, what's your biggest buck? My biggest buck is uh, 154 gross. How many times did you hunt the tree that you shot that out of? Twice. What's that? Twice. Two times. Twice, yeah. Yep. And most of the time when you're hunting a stand, how many times have you sat in that stand? Oh, gosh. Probably many, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm guilty. Yeah, I can tell you this. Just about everybody I ask when they got their biggest buck, probably 90% of the people I ask will tell me, well, it's the first time I ever sat that spot. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, I, the first time ends the best. You know, you're not getting in there and screwing it right. up before uh, before the you know before you capitalize on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and uh, most guys t- tell me that they hunt these stands over and over and over again, but the one time they moved over here and they killed this giant buck. Yeah, and I, I can tell but you, they don't put that together. They don't. They put that together and say, you know what? That's how I got to hunt. Yeah, I, I can tell you from experience. That's true. Where your stands are, they know where your stands are. What was that, Jason? I said I can tell you from experience that's true. Uh, that's one of the reasons. That's the main reason I switched over and tried to hunt in public ground this year. Is uh, I hunted the same two probably forty acre farms, and I mean I was just in and out of the same stands every single day. And uh, I tell you, this year when I switched to public land and moving around being mobile and not hunting the same spot more than two or three times, I saw more deer, more quality deer this year than I have in probably the past three years combined. Well, okay, so, and and this is something I've been giving some serious thought to, Dan, and it's, you know, 
it, it's really the main reason that I wanted to talk to you and reach out to you and have you on the podcast. I am very interested in kind of looking at my entire hunting approach totally different, you know, and um, and, and kind of going to a more mobile type uh, approach. And and with that, you know, I need I need to have a hang and hunt kind of mind frame. And I'm thinking is a saddle right for me? What kind of stand is right for me? What kind of uh, steps, do, you know, should I get? I've been Googling all kinds of stuff and YouTube and things, and I'm thinking, do I want some of those, uh, I don't even know what they're called. They're like those uh, those spiky boots or whatever, you, you know, where you're climbing <laughs> yeah. those trees. I'm thinking, man, I'll just probably hurt myself with those. But can you run down, what what is your, um, what are you packing in when you're going in to, to do a hanging hunt? Uh, well, uh, my ideal situation is to have a uh, nice small stand and uh, five short sticks. Now, obviously, I make my own equipment. I think everybody knows that by now. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, so I d- developed it the way I wanted it. But I got a small stand and I got five sticks, and I got it really lightweight because sometimes I'm back two miles or whatever. It's got to be quiet. Um, everything's bungeed solid together, so it doesn't make noise, doesn't rattle, kind of thing. And uh, I do not want a climber. Um, because I do not want to be limited to straight, limbless trees. And in some areas, they work okay, like like hilly terrain where it's all wooded and it's mature woods. But even then, you're gonna you're gonna hit a spot where you're not gonna be in the tree you want. And if you and if you dial into how I pick a tree, you'd understand that more. Um, when I go into a spot, um, I rarely even even if I hunt the spot several times, it's not too often I hunt the same tree. And the reason for that is, is I'm getting in that close quarters. I, uh, I'm looking at how the trail's going through, you know, where the sign has moved to or shifted, how the deer's coming out a little different or whatever. And I'm looking at exactly what the wind's doing. And I'm sitting back from a distance and picking a tree. A spot I got to be based on what I think the thermals are, are doing and going to do and what the wind is doing. And then I'm looking at the tree and I'm looking up it for cover and figuring out how high I got to be to be in the cover. Now, if that tree's got limbs on it, I got to be in the wrong tree if I got a climber. Mm-hmm. Right. I can get to any tree I want if I if I got something more mobile. Um, so uh, then I got enough sticks. Even though I usually use three or four sticks, I've always got five with me because when I need them, I want them. And again, now say I'm going to a tree that I know I can use a climber in. Go back to my scouting, my way in. Now I find sign of a giant buck. Oh man, look at what's going through here! But I got to get a portable to get into this tree. Mm-hmm. So I leave and I come back the next day. Well, while I was gone, that buck came through, smelled I was there, and he ain't back. He ain't coming back. Wow. I need to be able to get in that tree that day. So I need I need a, a hang on stand with sticks is what I need. And I, I'm assuming hunting. that you're probably you're probably trying to pick locations where you don't have to do much trimming at all. You're or you're probably trying to do it on as low impact approach as you can, and not not trimming any shooting lanes while you're there. You know. Yeah, I I'm, guess. I'm I'm like I said, I'm 50 to 100 yards from that deer. Right. I get that saw, I cut one limb, he's gone, mm-hmm. or he just ain't gonna move till dark. Yep. So yeah, I, I'm just being patient about my shots. What about not just your your tree stand and your step setup? What I mean, what what are you packing in with you? What what's your 
you know, gear bag look like when you're going in on these? <laughs> I usually got boots and a pair of pants. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're wearing pants <laughs> with your tennis shoes, right? Yeah, Dan, they got a they got a chuckle out of me. I, I've watched you enough to know that you uh you you're very minimalist when you go in. <laughs> yeah. They, I got milkweed, a bow rope, a knife, and a flashlight, and if I'm somewhere really remote, maybe a compass. Otherwise, it's just my bowl, my stand, and I got a camera arm because I film. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Yeah, that's. I, don't, I mean, I don't carry lunch in there. I don't carry water in. I don't carry anything else. I go in there to kill. I got one thing to do there. I don't need binoculars and all that crap cluttering up, making noise, flashing. I, I just want to be. Uh, like Jason said, uh, as little stuff as possible. And you see these guys that go out hunting, and you wonder what the heck they got. They got a backpack. Are they going camping for the weekend? Or why it's over here pointing to himself? <laughs> I, I go on a, a week-long camping trip. I take less stuff than some people take on a, a four-hour hunt. Yeah, we got we got a guy sitting at the table that is guilty of that. Yeah, why it's over here blushing. <laughs> but so, what kind of camera arm are you using? Uh, I developed my own on that, too, because I wanted something good for mobile. Um, so I've got one. I, I developed it. I sell it. Uh, I don't advertise it much because it, it's hard to keep up with the orders. But uh, I'm going to say, yeah, your, I, your sticks have been just selling like hotcakes. I want to congratulate you on that, by the way. <laughs> I'll say, I've been I've tried the last two times you've had a limited stock available. I tried to order some, but, I mean, it's it seems like a matter of hours those things are gone. Yeah, we can't get anybody that can manufacture them fast mm-hmm. enough. So, um, well, I mean, that's a good problem to have. And, and, uh, I think we'll get it down by the end of the year. So by by next fall, we should be able to get ahead of orders, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Now, is your stand is that going to be available to the public anytime in the future? Yeah, um, I developed the, the small stand is completely done. I uh, mm-hmm. we've been hunting out of it, and it's awesome. We got it to the point where I just love it. Yeah, I, I see but, sneak peeks in your videos of it all the time, and I'm just like, man, I just I want to see the whole thing though. <laughs> are you, Dan? Yeah, are you going to be at the uh, Are you going to be at the ATA show by any chance? No, I'm not planning on it. No. No. Okay. I didn't know I if that was something we could see. Me up now about having this stuff out. <laughs> 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 I hear you there. So yeah. Uh, also, I guess this is a question that these guys we were talking about in the truck before we uh, started recording. What kind of shirt you got on right now, Dan? What kind of shirt? Yeah. What kind of shirt you wearing right now? <laughs> I'm wearing a shirt that has Trump on it, standing on top of a tank. I love <laughs> it. Into a fire. I love it. <laughs> nice. I, you have you have the greatest collection of T-shirts I possibly have ever seen in my life, and I want to thank you. That hey. always brings a smile to my face when I watch a video of you. Hey, this is this is an odd request right here, Dan. But can you take a selfie of you wearing that shirt and send it to my phone? I I want to see that. I'll do that. Oh, sure. man. <laughs> Did it just get a little weird all of a sudden? <laughs> oh, they, just switch gears a little bit, Dan. I want to go into a little bit of a storytelling mode. Um, I know as much as you hunt public land, you have had to see some absolutely off-the-wall crazy stuff. Um, is there one story that might stick out in your head more than others about just some crazy guy you ran into or just some weird, odd thing that happened out there? You know, bizarre stuff happens all the time. Sometimes you think if you told anybody, nobody'd believe you. But uh, I don't know. Probably uh, uh, one time in the marsh by my house, I found a uh, uh, skeleton of a ram about two miles back in the cattails. <laughs> Wonder how it got back there and died. <laughs> wow! 
Wow. Uh, I ran into I ran into a guy uh, on the other end of the swamp. I went in there uh, hunting, and this guy was camped out real close to the entrance. So I got to go around this guy, you, you know. And it's kind of a funnel, so you got to kind of walk right past him. And the guy gives me a look, like shrugs his shoulders, and looks at me like, like really? But behind him is three miles of swamp, and he's blocking the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I go around him and <laughs> just ignore him. And uh, I get about 100 yards past him, and I catch my bow on some brush, and I just yank it because I'm an animal. <laughs> <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but I did. I yanked it, and what what was happening was a, a like a, a little limb off some dogwood or something got stuck in the string between the string and the cam, and I didn't realize it when I yanked. Oh no! It popped the string off the cam. <laughs> oh! So I'm sitting there with an unstrung bow. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Got to go back by the guy. <laughs> right? So I walk back past him, and the guy's like, really? I, I don't even look at him. I just keep walking. I get back by my truck, and I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, ah. And I take the thing, and I pry it up in my uh, bumper of my truck and hang on the front of it, and I was able to string it. I'm like, I'm going back out there. So I, throw <laughs> couple, uh, I, I throw an arrow into some mud, and I make sure the thing's still on. And uh, I walk back past, <laughs> past this guy, and he goes, he goes, I know who you are. You know about that buck. You're out here trying to, trying to get that buck on me. You're just going to screw up my hunt. So this guy thought, he knows who I am. And he thought I was just out there trying to screw up his hunt. And I guess I can't blame him, but that guy's probably still going out there going, man, that guy's an ass. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> you know, he's telling everybody his Dan Infault story. Exactly. Yep. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh man! Speaking of one more thing that I have, one question kind of related to that. Is since you're talking about other people, um, do you find that sometimes, like the areas you're hunting way back in there, does the deer hunting only get better uh, the more pressure that goes in around it? Yeah, you know, um, some places get better from the pressure. Mm-hmm. Some of the deep spots get pre- better, um, but I really don't see that much of a difference. Here's what I mean by that, like. Uh, like, there's certain spots I know, um, I can think of one island off, offhand, that there's generally, you know, a big buck out there. Anytime I go out there, there's a big buck hanging on that island. But if I go out there right after, you know, like two weeks of pheasant season's been going on and everybody's been going through the brush and the, and the white side of the cattails and stuff, chasing these stupid birds around, I will see tons and tons of deer. Mm-hmm. But there'll still be one big buck out there. It seems like the younger ones um, are more uh, adept to the pressure, and those bigger ones are already in those pockets. Those bigger ones are already avoiding the people. Mm-hmm. They're already hanging in those spots where people don't go. That makes perfect sense. But I get more more deer back there, mm-hmm. and that's not to say some of the younger ones I wouldn't shoot. I mean, we get two and a half year old bucks out here that are one forty class. Right. You know, um, we got exceptional genetics. But that's not really my target animal, you know. So I, I think the pressure probably helps you a little bit in those spots, even with the big ones. Mm-hmm. But I really don't see that much of a difference like everybody kind of, kind of tries to portray it. Mm-hmm. It just seems like those big ones are always out there. Okay. Interesting. I, I guess, um, man, any other advice you could think of for for a newbie like me that you know just because I'm gonna I'm gonna do this I'm gonna I'm gonna totally change my approach. I could give you the biggest advice I could give you is to stop thinking about it like deer hunting. 
started thinking about it like these deer are on to you. They know they're being hunted. They know where they're being hunted. And if you were them, where would you hide? Where would you go where nobody goes? And that's where you're going to find the biggest stuff. I mean, it's in oddball spots that if, if you know, you wouldn't want your neighbor to see you there because you'd be making fun of you for the next six months. You wouldn't want somebody to know to see you there, you know. It's the, it's the off-the-wall stuff, and the biggest bucks I've shot have been in the craziest locations because nobody ever goes there, and he's gotten a free pass for the last four years living there. Um, some of the biggest ones I've, I've got have been 200 yards from a parking lot, you know, right next to where everybody goes, and you can see the people go in, but nobody hunts that spot. You know, and that's what you got to do is think about where would they hide where nobody goes. And you got to remember, too, people think like vision-oriented. They think about everything through their eyes. And like, like say you're walking through the woods, and, and uh, if you ever killed a bear, you know they got a certain order. See, so you smell that order. You're like, you smell a bear. Would you believe it? You're kind of like, ah, I don't know, it smells like a bear. Right. Well, what does it take for you to believe it? You have you to gotta see it, see right? It. Yeah, you got to see it. With I mean, dinner, it's the total opposite. They think with their nose, so they can see you, but they got to smell you. You know what I mean? That everything revolves around their nose. So if you think about where everybody walks and goes and stuff, deer know that they smell that. They smell where you've been days after you've been there. They're going to go to the spots where they don't smell people, probably where they don't smell coyotes and stuff too, or dogs. You know, they might they might cross your path in a certain spot or something. But where they hole up in their bed, they're going to be where nobody goes. And, and the reason I'm killing bucks in those spots is because nobody goes there. So if I go camp out there, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. The People bucks are there. no longer going to be there. Right. So that's why this whole approach of just barely touching these spots and not burning them out and not overhunting them, that's why, that's why I'm hunting like that. All right, let me ask you this. I mean, I, I think I kind of know your answer before you even give this to me, but um, what kind of scent control do you go through? Or are you just not worried about that at all? Or you're just like, I'm playing the wind, and, and that's it? I don't believe there's anything you can do that will beat a deer's nose. That's what I thought you were going to say. Think there's anything that'll, <laughs> I don't think there's anything that will make, make them think that you're further away. I don't believe any of that. I've had deer when I, I'm wearing my shop clothes and my work boots, hunting because I just got off of work and it's either hunt or go home and change and not, not hunt. And I've had deer directly downwind of me, even mature bucks that don't care. And I've had deer that get downwind of you and freak out. So, I mean, I, I've, I've tried this stuff. I've observed this stuff. I've got friends who use this stuff. It just don't work. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it one bit. Got it. Got to respect. You know, that's it's kind of funny because I'm I'm hearing there, there's along with you there's a few other really really good big buck killers that have said the exact same thing. And I got to start thinking. Look at Andre Diaquisto. He's got he's got more Boone and Crockett's with a bow than anybody else in the world. He hunts out of leather boots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I guess if if there's one thing I've learned tonight in this podcast, Dan, is that uh, I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. i've I've been deer hunting for almost 30 years and i don't have a clue it is i've just been doing it all wrong it is a whole nother way of looking at it and thinking and i mean it really opened my eyes to it i've learned more this year than i i I can't tell you than i thought i'd ever learn about deer and i mean i really honestly i have all 
you to thank for all that, you know. I mean, I've learned so much from you just watching your videos and listening to every podcast you've ever been on. And, uh, I mean, really, from, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. It's been, uh, it's it's probably been my best year I've ever had. And, I've you know, I killed uh, one buck in Kentucky on public land. And Indiana's kind of, you know, haven't, haven't done yeah. too great in Indiana. But, I mean, it's still, I've, I, it'll go down as probably one of my one of my favorite years hunting for sure. I appreciate that. I, I think, too, um, you, you know, a lot of guys will hear this, and they'll get the gist, and then they'll go out, and they'll go scout, and then they'll find some sign on a bedding area or something and think they got it made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but really, um, it's a lot more work than it sounds like. Y- yes, it, it really is. is. Yes, I, it uh, is. Anybody who's doing it can tell you you have to be a little obsessed and, and like the hard work. you got to like the work of it. you got to like the scouting, not just the killing. And I think everybody who's successful doing what I do, is more into the scouting and stuff than the killing. The killing's kind of anticlimactic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting to the point now where I don't even want to kill someone that walks by, or my season's done, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or I better pack up for another state because I don't want to quit hunting, you know. Yeah. yeah. Speaking, of, do you do you do a lot of out of state hunting, or do you really just try to stay local with uh, your job and all that? Uh, I've been staying local the last few years, but I'm going to try and expand it more this year. I'm I'm hoping that I can. Uh, uh, try and take this to a full-time business this year. I don't know if I'll be able to or not. We're trying to crunch the numbers. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I can, then I'm going to do a hell of a lot more out-of-state hunting. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I hope if you do, you make it down to southern Indiana sometimes. I'd love to meet up with you and go uh, go run around some river bottoms and stuff. Yeah, that'd be fun. So. Well, Dan, any? Uh, well, I guess maybe I should start off with uh, Jason. You got anything else? Any? I, you know, I, I don't. Like I said, uh, just I really, really appreciate you taking the time and talking with us, man. It has been a, a really amazing, and I'm very, I feel very fortunate that uh, to be asked to come on here and have the opportunity to talk to you and pick your brain a little bit. Wyatt, you got anything? That's why I always like uh, talking deer. <laughs> well, Dan, uh, you know, greatly appreciate it, and I know that our listeners are going to appreciate all the information that uh, you've been uh, willing to give us tonight, and. Uh, if you would go ahead and go ahead and uh, plug your uh, whatever you want to plug, whether it's uh, I don't know if you want more business, but you know how, how do we how do we go and find out where we can buy these sticks and stands when you sell them and all that good stuff. Yeah, the, the sticks and stands I'll avoid a little bit because uh, <laughs> I'm having a hard time keeping up. Uh, but you'll hear about them shortly. But uh, you can uh, follow me on uh, my website, which is a hunting forum called uh, The Hunting Beast. TheHuntingBeast.com, and I'm on Facebook um, as The Hunting Beast. And uh, I think my biggest attraction is my YouTube page. I've got a lot of good videos in there that uh, teach the tactics that we've been talking about or show hunts that are successful using those tactics. Um, that's really popular and growing pretty fast. Outstanding. Well, Dan, greatly appreciate it, man. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help you at any point in time, don't hesitate. Reach out. Thanks, appreciate that. Thanks, buddy. Take care. All right. Have a good one, Dan. Sure.